Well, hello. Three o'clock in the afternoon. What in the world? End of the day class. Thanks for being here. Just to um, probably get you out of here a little bit early. Uh, the title of this is uh, Walking Away from What You Know. And um, maybe a little bit different than what you're thinking, but uh, we'll... We'll kind of jump into that just a, a little bit. I am the uh, planner and uh, pastor of uh, Gold Country Church in Auburn, California, uh, which was uh, started seven years ago. Uh, I uh, used to be the preaching minister of the Homewood Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and then, like I said, seven years ago, moved and started a, uh, a church. I have uh, worked with a church planning group called Stadia uh, for a little over 10 years, and so uh, glad to have this discussion uh, with you today. Just a, a little bit about me. I am uh, an adoptive father of eight uh, kids, and uh, it's my oldest, Vanessa, who uh, was in the 101st Airborne, and uh, Nicole, who has three kids herself. Chance, the top right, just got married to Justice. Uh, they are on their honeymoon right now. John is my 22-year-old with autism. That's the four-year-old that runs the entire uh, home, and uh, then those are my three 11-year-olds uh, that we have had since birth, and uh, so we uh, are kind of a wide-open family. We've had 30 foster children and uh, have adopted eight. Now, our life is kind of like a roller coaster. This is Top Thrill Dragster, Cedar Point, Ohio, 125 miles per hour, 425 feet, my favorite roller coaster of all time, and uh, as you crest the hill uh, and you go into a corkscrew free fall. There's nothing like it in all the world. That's a, uh, a pretty darn good picture of uh, the chaos that, uh, that is. Now, you know, any roller coaster, there's always a potential that something's not gonna go right. Uh, this is a young lady that was uh, two cars in front of us um, several years back. Um, it didn't go real well for her, but at least she can say she got on the roller coaster and she had the ride. She she went. She she experienced it. And so uh, I use that not to necessarily embarrass her. I don't know what her name is. I, I felt horrible for her. As you can tell, she feels horrible. Um, the ride was a little bit much, but like I said, she's not like a lot of other people that would not even go and experience the potential of what she could experience in that moment. Um, and so uh, this, this idea of leaving what we know uh, has been uh, quite a journey for my wife and I. Uh, we've been married for 26 years, and um, there was a picture of her. I've obviously uh, deleted it. She is uh, she may be the best looking woman in the world, and uh, she is uh, pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, so here's a little kind of thought for you to think through. Sometimes... Walking away from what you know, or, or we're going to put kind of the word go in there, is walking away from the health and safety of a place of growth to go experience something different that may not be the wisest of choices. We would think Luke 15, the, the prodigal son. Um, or if you're in ministry, sometimes you think, oh, well, there's a bigger church that's pursuing me. Obviously, that's going to be the greatest thing ever. And usually bigger churches usually mean bigger problems, bigger chaos, probably more strangleholded systems. And I've been the senior minister of large churches, and they're all they're cracked up to be. Um, 
But we're also, by Scripture, called to leave father and mother and become one with our spouse. We're called to leave places. We're called to leave familiarity. But God says He will never leave us. And so there are other times leaving a place of comfort and ease led by God, instructed by the Holy Spirit, to go for a purpose of God's choosing. And that's really what I want to talk about today. And we'll talk a little bit about Abram, Jonah, Paul, and just kind of see um, where that leads us. Um, I think we all love vacation. Um, at least I do. I'm, I'm not good at vacation, but I love the thought of vacation. Uh, there's nothing like packing eight kids up and taking them all a place, you know, somewhere across the country where you, you know, when you, we have a vehicle that holds nine people, so when we were all together, it, it was mass chaos. And there's nothing as bittersweet as coming back home. You know, you want to be back home, but you don't really want to leave the place because you've been off work, you've had a good time, you're enjoying yourself. But my contention is the best, worst part of the trip is when you're an hour away from home. When you're an hour away from home. Because everybody wants to be home, but you're not getting there fast enough. And that's usually when people become incredibly cranky. They start to cry. They start to whine. They start to fuss. They start to fall apart. We have one of our 11-year-olds that I showed you, uh, Baylor, when he was in his small car seat as a baby, Every time we got within an hour of the house, he would go explosive, crying, screaming, could not be comforted. And I'm that horrible parent that would let somebody take him out of his car seat and hold him so he would stop crying so the rest of us would have some sanity. Well, let's look at maybe some things that, uh, that God would say to us about leaving places that we know. Let's start with that, Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Keep reading the Genesis 12 passage. Now, God promises to bless him, to multiply him, to make him famous, to do all this stuff with him. But it's the simple command to go from your country, to leave what you know. The next one that's familiar to us is Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Of course, we know that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He hated Nineveh. He tried to go to Tarshish and hide because he did not want to do what God had called him, but the command of God had been to leave what he knew. Of course, Matthew 28, go, or as you're going, make disciples of all nations. Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I call them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And then one of my all-time favorite passages uh, found in Mark 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he cleared all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing he lacked, go. Go and sell everything you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. At this the man's face fell. 
because he wasn't willing to go. And this idea of walking away from what we know is difficult. Paul would say, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I know only that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Um, what do you do when God keeps disrupting what you think of as home or familiarity? Um, and, and it doesn't mean that you always have to pack your family up and go to a different city, but it could mean that. But God has a way of not allowing us or not being excited when we settle into this idea of comfort and self-satisfaction. What do you do when God keeps calling us out to places that feel more like Nineveh than an assignment? Abram's part of all this is expressed in a single, though searching command, and he's heaped up with the I wills as we talked about, but at the same time, he is trading the known for the unknown. The known for the unknown. And that unsettles us because we like to have what is known. So uh, back in 2010, um, I was sitting in my office, I'll put this picture up for reference. Uh, this is the Homewood Church in Birmingham. And uh, my office was, uh, was this corner here. And uh, I was sitting looking out those two windows at the parking lot one day, and uh, I began to ask myself, God, is this all there is? I mean, is this what all this is about, is to have a big building, big church, big staff, big salary? Is this, is this, really, what, is this, is this really what it is? And there was this discontent within me. It wasn't things were great. We were averaging 22 babies a year in the nursery. 75% of the church was under 45 years of age when I arrived eight years prior to that. 75% was over 55 years of age. So we had seen an exact reversal. We're reaching, we're baptizing people like crazy. God is just doing amazing stuff. But I'm looking out the window with this discontent like there's got to be more. Now more is a dangerous word. More is a very dangerous word because our appetites always tell us you need more. You need more, you need big, you need better, more. I mean, Esau traded his birthright for more. And so I'm sitting and I'm just praying. And, and, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this, I haven't said this. I grew up in a fundamentalist type of church Christ. I won't tell you what city it was in. When I was five years old, the leaders of the church got up and announced they had bought a building for all the black people to go to, and they would be there in two weeks. So that's the kind of church I grew up in. All my friends where I grew up were black, so that wasn't a good thing. I have three little black boys now that are mine. They're, they're, we don't call them adopted. We call them born in our heart. Um, and so I hated church. As soon as I didn't have to go, I fled. Now, in college, I had an awakening and received the grace of God. But, you know, here I find myself in ministry, and I'm really kind of the unlikely person to be in ministry. But, uh, you know, here I sit thinking, God, is this, is this it? Is this, you know, big white church, large budget, 
go do anything you want to do. Um, I, I, during this season of discontent, we had really been trying to reconcile the neighborhood, which was predominantly African-American and Latino that around us, and um, I was trying to lead a charge of getting out and reaching the people in our community, not just continuing to go after wealthy white people. So we had begun to feed 250 homeless people three times a week with 13 other churches from all the different denominations. And God was really stirring in people. Um, now, my wife and I both for probably the last 18 to 20 years have leaned more towards the charismatic side. That's kind of an important part of this probably. Uh, have never forced that on anybody, but uh, we have learned that we want to trust in the spirit of God and not the spirit of me because I'll run us off the road um, if it's by me um, because I'm, I'm not that smart. Um, but we have this season of discontent. So I'm looking out the window and I'm saying, God, what, 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 are, what am I supposed to do? What, what do you want from me? And I had this just revelating thought to begin in Genesis and to go through the entire Bible, writing down every time God did something, and every time God said something. Every time God did something, every time God said something. And so I'm a, I'm a pen and paper person. I, I, I mean, I use a computer, but I, I study with pencil, pen, and notepad. And so I had stacks of uh, legal pads. I had my assistant just bring me a stack of them. And I'd just be going in and begin filling legal pads with things that God did and God said from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. And I filled up about three pads, page after page after page after page of the things God did and the things God said. And I came across Habakkuk 3.2, which isn't on the screen, but where Habakkuk prays, Lord, we've heard of your awesome fame. We've heard of your great deeds. Renew them in our day, in our day make them known. And basically it's a do-it-again prayer. But to pray a do-it-again prayer means that you're willing to leave the comfort of what you know. Because I could get up and preach all day long. People are going to be happy. Church is going to continue to give. Things are going to be move along. But is that what really Christ filled us with the Holy Spirit for? Is that why he redeemed us? So we would settle into this, I'm just going to do it this way. I'm just going to ease along. I'm just going to go along to get along. I mean, basically, and I, no offense to monkeys, but basically you could train a monkey to get up and preach and people would just be just as happy because nothing's being unsettled. Well, I had this discontent that there had to be more. There had to be more. So in the middle of, uh, of the summer, August 2010, I began a sermon series after three months of going through the entire Bible, writing down everything God had said and everything God had did. I just began preaching about trying to find more of God, not more of the world, not more money, not more of this, but more of God, more of what God was up to, more of what God wanted, more of who God was. And as we did that, things began to happen around that church that people were a little uncomfortable by because people began to pray bold prayers. People began to seek after God. People began to say, God, what do you want me to do in my life? What do you want to do in my family? What do you want me to do in my business? Because the idea that a monkey could run their business and a monkey could run their house didn't sit well with anybody, which it shouldn't. 
particularly should share with the church that has this much influence, this much financial power to change the culture, it shouldn't sit well. So that fall, I was set to go and do a retreat up in uh, Northern California. And uh, my wife and uh, we took our, our small kids with us. They allowed us to bring uh, them. And in the middle of that retreat, God began to speak crazy things to me. I want you to start a church here. I want you to start a relational ministry here. I want you to love on people that don't know Jesus. Now, the Northern California area where we were, the demographics were 5% Christian. 5% Christian. There were more Satanists, Buddhists, or atheists in the area than there were anything. Anton LaVey started the Church of Satan 10 miles from where we ended up moving and planting a church. So there's a darkness that prevails the area. So we're doing a retreat. There's about 50 people at the retreat, and over half of them have all quit church. Okay? So you're tracking with me? This is, this is not an area of the South or Southern California where churches are everywhere. This is an area where people are disconnected, disengaged. They don't care. They don't believe. They don't want. They only want what they want. So as God begins to speak to me, I don't say anything. I thought, I don't even know what to do with that. I, at that point, I was 42 years old, and 42-year-old men. At that point, I had seven kids. You don't travel 2,500 miles across the country, give up a salary to go plant a church with no salary, no team, no anything. It's just not wise. I think we would all agree with that. And so I... Uh, Waited to see if God spoke to my wife. Well, what I didn't know was on that same weekend as my wife was doing ministry with some of the women, her spiritual mother, who was a lady that was not Church of Christ, she was Church of God, uh, but she had traveled with us, and she began, as they began to pray about what they were experiencing, um, Alice looked at Jennifer and said, I think God is calling you to come here and plant a church. Now, I know that sounds strange, but and there's a lot more to that, but uh, I, won't, I won't get into all that. Um, and so we came back. I met with the elders at Homewood. The day I returned, I called them and said, I need to meet with you. I said, I want to go through a three-month season with you. I want to pray. And I want to pray about does God want us to walk away, to leave here, which I've her family was three and a half hours away. Mine was three and a half hours away in different directions. Do we walk away and go and start a church where we know not a soul? Or do we stay and do we keep doing what we've been doing? And so in that three-month period, all our friends, our family, by the way, my mom and dad told me I lost my mind. My dad asked me if I needed a mental examination. Uh, fundamentalist church, doesn't believe. My dad grew up as a tongues interpreter in the Assembly of God. And my mother saved him in the Church of Christ. So just, just, just so you, you have some context. And my mother told me she felt like my salvation was at stake. And my dad thought that I had mental illness uh, because I told him God spoke to me. And uh, he said, why, when you're at one of the largest churches in Alabama, would you walk away? Why would you do that? And I said, well, why would I stay? He said, because you're financially sound. You have good friends. We can come send you whenever you want. Your kids are taken care of. 
And here's the kicker. And it's comfortable. And it's comfortable. Three months of praying, every person that was a spiritual mentor in our life, all the shepherds of Homewood said, you're crazy, don't do this, but we believe this is what God's calling you to do. Every person, one after the other, the only two people that said that we're crazy are my parents. Only two people. Now, there's a time when you listen to your parents, and I'm thinking, I may, I may probably should listen to them, being 42 years of age, but we walked away in March 1st. I had already taken all our stuff out, found a place to rent in, uh, in Auburn, California, and we began a church that literally, uh, we found seven couples who had all quit church um, that didn't want anything to do with church and they agreed to help us start the church. They didn't promise they were gonna stay and be a part of it. They just said, we'll help you start it. The first Sunday we had 87 people that showed up from the community at a church that didn't even exist but for three days. Before the third month, we were over 100. Our first baptism service, we baptized almost 80 people. Now that sounds crazy, but I think that's the, the kicker of the God saying, I am with you. This is what I've called you to do. We have uh, just reached the seven-year mark. We, uh, we, we started out in an Irish pub. Um, we moved from an Irish pub to the fairgrounds, from the fairgrounds to a school, and then Easter Sunday, after taking uh, the lease on a building um, that's more like a, a commercial type office structure, um, we had 11 days to totally remodel 12,000 square feet and turn it into a church with eight classrooms. And we had a local contractor that goes to church with us that made it happen. And that's a miracle in and of itself. And so I'm kind of fast-tracked this so I can make sense of it for you. Um, so we felt God called us to walk away from what we knew and to go to a place that we didn't know and start a ministry that we had never had before. Now, Homewood's a very established church. They have structures, they have this, they have that, they have you know all the things. So we moved to Northern California with seven people who had quit church, so leadership was a struggle. Um, and then, who are you gonna go after? With a 5% Christian population, well, I, I would go sit in bars, in coffee shops, meet people in restaurants. And so our, our clientele and our goal when we started the church was to look like the DMV. And you think when you go in the DMV, there are people from every walk of life. They're rich and poor, they're black and white, they're Latino, they're educated and uneducated. I mean, you think about it, there are people from every walk of life coming from an upper middle class white church and start to go and to try to reach people that don't know Jesus, they don't even believe in God, and to try to do it without the structures, the financing of anything. Now, that's why I go back to this idea that the only way to make that happen is not by human effort, but to truly trusting in the Spirit of God. God to lead, God to provide, God to dictate every move, God to move. 
Because God called us away from security. He called us away from family. He called us away from comfort. He called us away from familiarity. And he called us into seeking more. And that's why I think that, that question that I asked that day was kind of the catalyst to open our hearts to move. Now, my wife is a nester. We had two homes. We were three and a half hours from both sets of grandparents. We had life on the easy, smooth, do-whatever-you-want train. And when God spoke to us, she was the one that was ready to go, and I was the one that struggled with it. Now, my wife, when I say Nestor, she's the one that likes to know where her babies are going to be, how everything's going to be, who's going to pay this bill, what all's going to happen. She is a list maker of the things that she needs to make a list of. She's incredibly organized, and the idea of moving across the country where you know no one to start a church, I thought, would be the game changer. And she would say, no, we're not going to do that. And I'd be like, great, we're not going to do it. We're just going to stay doing what we're doing because that was the same thing to do. But yet the voice of the Spirit of God compelled her, which eventually compelled me to walk away from everything we knew every structure we knew, every church philosophy we knew. So we went from a structure where somebody sat at the top of the pyramid and trickled down information and dictation of what everybody was going to do to going and starting a church where there's no hierarchy. Everybody is treated as an equal. We. Uh, we now have a full staff seven years in. We have a worship pastor, a youth pastor, children's pastor, administrative pastor. We have um, a community pastor and a children's pastor, children's youth. So we, and um, every person has equal say in everything we do. Every person has a responsibility to be in the community, to serve the community, to love the community. We call ourselves door holders because we want to hold the door open for people from all walks of life to come in and meet Jesus. Now, obviously that's not always the easiest thing to do. So, let's see. Um, at Gold Country Church this Sunday, there will be former prostitutes, there will be strippers, there will be addicts, there will be felons, there will be divas. There'll be bankers, attorneys, doctors. There'll be teachers. There'll be homeless people. In other words, the DMV is going to show up at Gold Country Church this Sunday for two services because God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, started a church that loves people and that opens the door for people. We went from the first year of having zero leadership to the second year training and having 11 couples who served as elder or shepherd couples to now we're at 15 will ordain more this this year probably by the end of summer and so here's my my kind of question what is it that God is trying to get through to you that he wants you to do, to be open to, that he wants you to step out into, that you're either unwilling to listen, you can't hear him, or you've heard him, 
and you've decided that you're not willing to obey. Jonah had his Nineveh, but he also had his Tarshish. Nineveh is where you aren't willing to go. Tarshish is where you're trying to hide from God so you don't have to go. And we all have it. This was my Tarshish. This is where I could have stayed and hid and retired preaching. The guy that had been there before me he's preached for 27 years in this place. I could have stayed under the radar and just preached Sunday after Sunday, loved people well, and I could have stayed until I retired. But I think that holy discontent came from being birthed by God, spoken by the Holy Spirit, and confirmed by faithful witnesses of our life. You know, um, Don McLaughlin, the other night, challenged about every angle that you could challenge one group of people. He challenged from leadership. He challenged from race. He challenged from attitude. He challenged from worship. He challenged about everything that you can challenge. Now, there are people long before us that have been asking the same questions and challenging the same thing. I have no idea how the people in that room took all those, you know, things that he challenged with. I know this, that there was racism in Birmingham and there's racism in Auburn, California. As the father of three little black boys, I can tell you racism is alive and well. There are probably not many churches in the South that will allow women in leadership. There are probably a few more in California that allow it. And then you take all the other things that have been, been challenged this week, and there will be people that will go home and they'll find a Tarsus. They'll find a place to hide so they don't have to deal with it. And then there are going to be some people that know that God has put a holy discontent in them that they'll have to go and do something about it. I don't know how that'll end up. You know, for some people, their Tarsus is religion. They don't want to do what God calls them to do, but they'll read a Bible and they'll join a group. So they'll do the religious thing and try to fly under the radar. See, God's only aim wasn't just Jonah reaching Nineveh. Because he could have sent anybody. But God wants to equally be after Jonah. God wanted to equally be after me. He knew that I wasn't living my talents. He knew that I wasn't living my heart. I was settling for what was comfortable and familiar. What was in some ways easy. And I think that's kind of where the church is going to have to wrestle as individual people. How do we challenge what's comfortable and easy to us? How do we step out of that? You know, the statement that's been made for 15 plus years is, um, you gotta get out of your comfort zone. But here's the real question, is why are we comfortable in a place that God doesn't want us to settle in the first place? And that's the idea I think the church is going to have to wrestle with. Um, I, I love this uh, passage in Psalm 86. It says, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. 
And that verse has been kind of a guiding force of our journey to leave, to plant, to step out, and to love people the best that we can love them. Uh, all the nations, all the nations made by God will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. Well, the only way they're going to bring glory to the name is if we teach them, if we show them, if we respond to them, if we go to them, if we get out of ourselves. Um, we do a lot of prayer. You know, we do a lot of prayer in closed doors, but we do a lot of prayer in the supermarket, in Walmart, around town. We have people that literally will, will go into a grocery store, and this is the question they ask when they walk in the door. Okay, God, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to pray for? Now, that's not comfortable. But we have people that have been so impacted by the good news and by the power of God that they ask God through the power of the Spirit to highlight somebody for them, and they'll go, and when they feel like they know that person, who they're supposed to go, they'll approach them and say, hey, I, you don't know me, but I feel like God wants me to pray for you. We have never had anyone say, don't pray for me. We've had people stop and go, I just got diagnosed with cancer. My husband just told me he wanted a divorce. I just lost my job. Thing after thing after thing after thing. Now, how do you take people who don't know Jesus, who don't know anything, and you get them so committed that they're willing to go into the marketplace and be image bearers of God so they bring glory to His name? Well, you help them fall in love, not with religion, but with God. You tell them to not follow their heart because your heart's deceitful. You tell them to listen and to seek after what the Holy Spirit is because God always has more for us. And when we pursue more, when we pursue going after God, God does amazing, amazing things. Gold Country Church is not a perfect church. In seven years, we're a little over 500 adults and about 120 kids, which isn't too shabby in a place that we started with 14 people that didn't even believe in church. But that's who God is. And I think that's the more that God wants to do in lots and lots of other places. So that's a little bit about our journey of walking away from what we, what we know. Any questions? Well, let me pray, and I'll get you out here early. Father, may, may this week, Lord, as it comes to an end, Lord, all, all of us come back to the question, God, what, what are you compelling us to do, Lord? Is it just to gather information? Is it just to, to read? Is it just to, to hear? Or, Lord, as James says, to not only hear the word, but be doers of it. Lord, follow your spirit where, where you lead us. God, out of our comfort and familiarity, Lord, to be ambassadors of hope. Lord, for the world that needs you like never before. And so, Father, compel us by your spirit. Convict us and use us as you see fit, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.